motivation, on why we practice, also on what inspires and fuels our practice, and on what we rely on in our practice. And I'll talk about the number of qualities of the heart and mind which in Buddhist psychology are listed as the five object ascertaining factors. And I'll explain what that means. Their function is to ascertain, admit to certain aspects of the object they hold. They're important qualities that make human development and inner freedom possible. They are aspiration, appreciation, mindfulness or awareness, concentration or steadiness of mind, and intelligence or insight or wisdom. Human suffering, such as conflict, stress, anxiety, restlessness, depression, all the other problems of the mind and the heart, are caused by the so-called klesha or kilesa. They are negative, unwholesome factors or aspects of the mind, such as desire, hatred, delusion, which darken and confuse and delude the mind, which throw it out of its natural, original balance into bewilderment, into turmoil. The Indian poet and Bodhisattva Shantideva called these negative emotions or klesha thieves because they steal our clarity, our peace, our joy and our openness of heart. Our basic problem really is ignorance or the darkness or bewilderment of the mind which is the worst one of these thieves. It's that which leads to misperception of the world and of ourselves and to delusion. It's that which keeps us from living in tune and in harmony with the nature of things, with life. It's out of this unrealistic, misperceiving attitude that all the other negativities or clashes arise. Desire, attachment, aversion, hatred, jealousy, envy, pride, conceit, and all the rest. And it's out of this that arises most of our personal suffering and most of the suffering in the world. Maybe not all, but a lot. Racism, nationalism, oppression, torture, war, social, economic injustice, exploration, and supposedly 10 million children slaves just in India alone. The destruction of our environment, of life on earth. A lot of 
suffering, hunger, disease, death from malnutrition and starvation, mostly in third world countries, mostly again among children. All this is caused by the madness of the human mind, by this unwholesome negative emotions that are caused by our not understanding. And in order to bring about change, change in human beings, and possibly eventually in the world, we have to turn to our own mind. We have to turn to this klesha, this thieves or unwholesome qualities which darken our heart and mind. And we need to cultivate qualities which can break the power of these klesas, of these negative emotions. We need to cultivate qualities which can recognize them, see through them, disempower them, and eventually uproot them. And the qualities we need to cultivate for this purpose are the factors or qualities which make up a spiritual path. They're also, in a very fundamental sense, the very qualities that allow us to function as intelligent beings, as human beings. Intelligent, especially in the sense of practice, in the sense in terms of what makes us, others in the world, more happy and freer, rather than suffering. And these qualities that bring about this development, that have the power to see through and eventually eradicate these clashes, are these five so-called ascertaining or specifying factors of mind. Aspiration, or the dimension term, aspiration, appreciation, mindfulness, awareness, or recollection, depending on what word we like, concentration, or steadiness of mind, and intelligence, or insight, or wisdom. They're called specifying factors because in relation to their object, in relation to what is perceived. They have specific functions, or we could say they discern or ascertain a specific aspect of the object and then highlight it. The first, aspiration, ascertains or singles out what it is in the object that is desirable, that should be aspired to, that should be attained. The second, appreciation, ascertains and appreciates or tastes that which is seen as worthwhile and precious in an object, in a thing, in a situation, in a person. The third, mindfulness or recollection, remembers what needs to be recollected about the object, about the thing we're looking at. Concentration singles out the specific act aspect of the object and excludes everything else. And the fifth one, intelligence, recognizes the deeper meaning and sees the possibilities and implications. Now, 
goes through all five of them. All the five factors are neither wholesome or positive nor unwholesome or negative in themselves. They can be either way. They become wholesome or unwholesome independent on the other mind factors and emotions which arise with them, which accompany them. For example, in case of concentration, you could take the concentration of a cat, one pointedly focused on catching a mouse or of a hunter, single-pointedly waiting for his prey. You know, it's just... Everything else is completely excluded. It's just this one thing that's a strong concentration. So there is an unwholesome mind state because there is a life-threatening intention behind it. On the other hand, the concentration of a surgeon or a healer trying to save someone's life. It's the same kind of concentration, but together with the positive, wholesome state of mind, with the life-supporting, healing motivation behind it, so that would be a concentration that is wholesome. And, as I said before, by means of these five qualities of mind, we recognize and define ourselves, humans, as intelligent beings. Through this, we function as intelligent beings. Through this, the values, the direction, and the meaning of our life are set. And, of course, also practice, if we're interested in practice. They decide on our ethical behavior, our integrity, they make for commitment, responsibility, and consistency with respect to our actions. They, consti- they constitute our ability to learn, to acquire knowledge, to reason, to judge, to comprehend. Now here I'd like to look at all five of these factors in the light of Dharma practice, in the light of what we're doing here. That's their wholesome aspect. The first quality is aspiration. In the Pali language, it's called vitaka, for those who are interested. I'm not sure if aspiration is such a good English word. It's also sometimes translated as initial application or as applied thought. And some of us find it helpful to have the Pali term, which you know, can really only be translated by a number of different words that really can cover the whole meaning of words like this. Anyway, aspiration or vitaka determines and considers what is desirable in an object or situation and attempts to attain or realize it. So we can say this quality, vitaka, Buys or strives for something, be it a new work project or the experience of our breath or body in meditation. Or it could be the aspiration to be mindful and aware moment to moment as much as we can. It can function or it does function on many level, levels. It could be that we 
acutely recognize the danger, the toil and trouble of this samsaric existence in which we live, and will perhaps begin to aspire to a completely new way of being, which might be one of the things we're doing here since we have come to a retreat. Taking refuge might then define our aspiration or our new direction. Taking refuge in Buddha, Dharma and Sangha. Not meaning kind of traditional Buddhist concepts or historic people like the Buddha, but real values that are very essential for practice. Taking refuge in Buddha means that the direction of our aspiration is the quality of awakening. The quality of awakening to this reality as it is, the quality of coming to understand what this life is all about, what its meaning is and what its essence, its nature is. saying that the direction of our aspiration is the realization of our potential for inner freedom. That's really something we aspire that that already lies within us. Taking refuge in the Dharma means that we aspire to understand the true nature of this existence of life. We aspire to come in tune with it instead of being lost in the suffering of not understanding. Dharma refers to all the teachings and all the practices which support us in this work and endeavor. And refuge in the Sangha means that we again aspire to connect with like-minded people, with those interested in the Dharma as much and as often as possible. If we want to see true progress and transformation in ourselves, then this kind of aspiration, the refuge, is quite essential. We might not understand it or formulate it that way, but it's a very important clarification we need to do within our hearts and minds over and over again. To be clear what we aspire to, what it is that we put our trust in, what it is that we take refuge in. In a way, we could say it's a real basis of our practice. It has to do with the motivation, with the direction, and with the goal. Another very meaningful possible aspiration is the one towards the realization of bodhicitta. Bodhicitta refers to the heart and mind which is filled with the aspiration, again, to reach Buddhahood for the benefit of all living beings. Some traditions divide practitioners into beings with different spiritual scopes or outlooks, perhaps, or perspectives, we could say. Beings of small, beings of middling, and beings of great spiritual scope or perspective. Traditionally, in Buddhist cultures, 
the small scope refers to the rather ordinary aspiration and motivation to attain a better life after this one now. <clears throat> one aspires to develop the positive qualities and tendencies, which means karma, so as to attain a better, a higher, a more pleasant future life. Now I find that the most common aspiration and motivation for practice as mentioned by Westerners in a way is also part of this scope or perspective. It's the aspiration to make this life here more pleasant, clear, sensitive and free. <coughs> I find that these motivations are very legitimate and meaningful. Yet they're also a little bit flat or not so powerful in one way. When we consider how quickly and easily even the best situation in life can suddenly change and become very difficult. I just heard, I don't know <coughs> really if it's true, but I just heard of um, one man who I knew, I didn't know him personally or hardly, but he's been uh, Buddhist practitioners for many, many years, for decades, He's been a great scholar, he's been a brilliant translator for many teachers, for many lamas. Uh, many times he's tr translated teachings for the Dalai Lama. He's translated many books and given a lot of teachings and, and helpful um, advice in many ways. I heard that recently uh, he got bitten by a tick and got meningitis, and his mind is supposed to be like a five-year-old's mind, irreversible. If we remember how life can change so suddenly from being very comfortable and nice and we realize how we're getting a little freer, a little more psychologically balanced and, you know, some sort of well-being. When we remember that, maybe the smaller scope doesn't seem quite as... as sufficient. The middle scope or perspective refers to the aspiration for complete liberation. The middling scope is already very powerful, very impressive. With this perspective, nothing will stop us from completely eliminating or abandoning both karma and klesha, which means all our conditioned behavior, our action and its results and all negative and unwholesome tendencies in our hearts and minds. No matter how long, no matter how many lifetimes it'll take. It's a very inspiring aspiration, I find. We just imagine a human being who is free of attachment, desire, aversion, hatred, I mean really free. Free of any sense of separateness. A human being who is whole and healed of any kind of inner suffering, full of love, compassion, and wisdom. It's a very powerful aspiration. 
Now the vast or great scope or spiritual perspective is that of a bodhisattva. It is those who aspire for complete inner freedom in order to be of utmost benefit to all beings. And traditionally, it refers to the aspiration towards becoming Buddha, free of karma and klesha, all negative tendencies, with complete understanding of all the facets of existence and with the perfection of all the human qualities such as generosity, moral integrity, acceptance, love, enthusiastic energy, concentration, insight, and so forth. A fully awakened one, which is what the word Buddha means. The awakening or the birth of bodhicitta is the point in practice where self-interest is transformed and transcended into the wish and aspiration to practice and act for the benefit of all beings. Shantideva says on this aspiration for bodhicitta, it's the supreme medicine that heals the world's disease. It is the tree that shelters all beings, wandering and tired on the path of conditioned existence. And Shantideva's aspiration in the context of bodhicitta, that great or vast scope, I find this both beautiful and also impressive. He says, May I be the doctor and the medicine, and may I be the nurse for all sick beings in the world, until everyone is healed. And, you know, it seems like he's thinking about what could be useful, so he goes even further. He says, May I become an inexhaustible treasure for those who are poor and destitute. And may I turn into all things they could need, and may this be placed close beside them. It's not just enough that here's what all beings need, but even make sure they also can have access to it. It's a very, a very high aspiration. And of course we need to be very careful here, being Westerners and having the tendencies we have, not to turn that into heavy duty demands on ourselves, not to set up high ideals and then measure ourselves against it and then feel useless and worthless, which is also something we often do. But to be aware of the two sides. Here's the other side of this coin. A wise woman was looking back over her life and said, When I was young and fiery, I wanted to bring everyone to salvation. I prayed to God that she might give me the power to transform the world. In midlife, I came to realize one day that my life was half over and I hadn't yet changed or transformed anyone. So I prayed to God that she might give me the power to at least change or transform those around me who needed it so much. Now I'm old and my prayer is simpler. I pray 
God, please give me the power to at least change myself. But I don't think there needs to be contradiction in those two views on things. I think when we know true humility in the best sense of the word, we can work for all beings without any conceit. And as we do that, we'll also touch and transform ourselves. So aspiration, or vitaka, thus is the initial impulse for all our endeavors, for all our undertakings, whether worldly or spiritual. It might be helpful to clearly discern aspiration from desire and wanting. In a small example from meditation, we might aspire for ever deeper realization, which is a very good thing. But soon, desire and longing comes in, desire for mind state other than the ones we have, for other, usually better, more pleasant experiences than the ones we have. And soon we have turned peaceful meditation with a powerful aspiration into a battlefield. Aspiration is the turning to and aiming for something worthwhile. Desire, on the other hand, is the falling out of balance because of reaching out to something that isn't here, thereby losing contact with what is, and yet not getting what we don't have but would like to have. That's very different from aspiration, really being driven. In fact, all we can and we need to do is being present and ready so that life can reveal itself to us, so that insights can dawn upon us. We can't make or do insight or liberation, yet we can aspire to liberation. On the level of meditation, this aspiration, or vitaka, has another important function. It's that quality in the mind, or that mental factor, that aims at the object, that propels the mind, or the mindfulness, towards that which we perceive. Like the breath, or a body sensation, or a sound, or whatever. The text says, just as a favorite assistant of a king leads and introduces a visitor to the king. Even so does this quality of aspiration or vitaka lead the mind to the object. Our mindfulness, our attention, usually doesn't aim by itself towards the experience of breathing. We can't just sit down and say, okay, now we go to the breath, and it'll do it by itself. Or towards the body sensation, or towards... Uh, pattern of the mind. It is that quality of vitaka or aspiration that aims at it. Thus, it's an important quality in meditation. I think one that is worthwhile to be aware of and to develop. Aspiration or vitaka also functions as a so-called factor of 
absorption in concentrative meditation and in absorptions or jhana. There then it becomes what is called a jhana factor. And I'll say more about this when I will talk about concentration another evening. The second quality of mind or tool for human development is appreciation or vichara. It can be seen as the next step in the same movement. We begin by trying to make contact what we aspire to and then we go on staying with it, appreciating it. So aspiration vitaka is like a bee that flies to a flower while appreciation or vichara is like the bee that sort of buzzes around in the flower or whatever bees do in the flower and appreciates whatever is in there. Or, for example, we practice with interest and continuity and in doing this now, over time, we notice that our life is getting easier, it's getting fuller, it's getting richer. And then through this, appreciation arises, and that, in turn, again, reinforces our practice. Or on the other hand, there might be times when our practice loses its momentum and its energy. Now, when this happens, it, in retreat or daily life, we might need some fresh inspiration such as contact with people who reawaken our appreciation of the practice. We could be reading books or listening to Dharma talks which inspire us. Sometimes major changes or events in our life, such as separation, a birth or a death occur, and suddenly the Dharma becomes very relevant again because of that happening. For me, it's often a depth of long retreats that have this effect of really fully appreciating again what it is that practice. Or when teaching retreats, seeing how people have liberating insights or experience deep connectedness. Or we can rejoice in our practice and the practice of others. Feel good about doing it. Not very common to rejoice mostly to rejoice about our own practice and our own quality. It's, very, uh, it's a very powerful thing to do and it really gives the fullness of appreciation of what this might mean. Unfortunately, we often spend more time judging and comparing and condemning what we're doing or how well we're doing or how we're doing it. Rejoicing strengthens appreciation. In Tibetan Buddhism, the contemplation of the value and preciousness of this human situation and this moment is a very central practice in that respect. The fact of being born as a human, the fact of being intelligent, being intelligent enough to realize that there's something to be seen, to, to look into, to understand in life. Maybe there's something we can learn in terms of ending suffering and becoming inwardly free and liberated. 
being a human being that is interested in inner development, also having the opportunity to actually practice the kind of opportunity we all have here. Having the support from many sides, from different people, from everyone here who practices, so we have a great number of people practicing together, the managers who are so helpful in so many ways, cooking, shopping, doing office work, garden work, group of people who make the decisions about how this should be run. There's a great number of people involved with making this happening and providing that situation for us. Very special, very precious and rare opportunity we have here. The Buddha gave an illustration that many of you must have heard maybe many times even to illustrate how rare it is to have that situation even among human beings. Just imagine the great big ocean, there's a golden ring that's swimming on the surface of the ocean and it's sort of tossed here and there by the waves and the winds and the currents. At the bottom of the ocean, somewhere at the bottom of the ocean, a blind turtle is living. Now that blind turtle comes up every hundred years once, for some reason, I don't know why it comes up, but once in a hundred years it comes up and puts its head out of the surface, you know, doesn't look around, I guess it's blind, then goes down again for a hundred years. Just as rare as it is that this turtle will come up at some point with its head right through that golden yolk that swims in the great ocean. It's that rare that living beings, even human beings, find this kind of situation. Shantideva says, Relying upon the boat of the human body, human life, we must cross the great river of suffering, since it will be hard to find such a boat again. It would be foolish to sleep while having this opportunity. These reflections make true inner realization possible with respect to the enormous value of our situation and the rarity of it and the fact that we have it. And hopefully the appreciation that can come from recognizing this. Appreciation of this moment of our situation here gets even deeper if we reflect on how fleeting and fragile it is. Nagarjuna, in his well-known verse, said, Our life is so fragile, like a water bubble blown here and there by the wind. How astonishing are those who assume that, having fallen asleep by night, will surely wake up again next morning. Or, after breathing out, will surely breathe in again. There's not the slightest guarantee we will even though there's hardly a doubt in our minds, really, that we will. Yet, how long the teaching, the Dharma, is available, how long, how often we'll have opportunities to practice, like this one here, how long we ourselves will be here, we don't know. 
it's actually completely uncertain. And the only thing that's certain is that it's all limited in time. It won't last forever. The very moment we really realize how rare and how fragile this situation in our whole life actually is, boundless appreciation arises within us, as well as gratefulness, compassion for life, now, in all its facets and manifestations, pleasant or unpleasant. And we ourselves and our practice of awakening and of appreciation becomes very alive again. This quality of appreciation, vichara, also has an important function in meditation. The first one, aspiration, aims at the object, the breath or whatever. It throws the mind or the mindfulness onto it. The second one, vichara, appreciates the object. We could say it tastes it, so to speak. Or we could say it almost rubs the object. Vichara stabilizes and deepens the contact with the meditation object. That's why it's so important when you go when when the in breath is there to go right to it and make sure we really make contact. We not just think in breath, but we feel how it happens. And then as soon as that happened, the next quality comes. We then appreciate the fact that in breath is happening and we stay in touch. We almost it's like we taste the whole in breath, not just in breath and that's it. So both those qualities of mind can come right into action in every moment that we are with the present experience. Be in-breath or a sensation or a sound. We go right there with the experience of hearing, make contact, and then appreciate the sound as it lasts. So again, we have those two qualities. It's that second quality that stabilizes and deepens contact with the meditation object. It's easier to stay with it. It steadies the mind. It allows us to see more clearly, to be more clearly in touch with what is. Again, I'll remind you every now and then during meditation. Just like aspiration, the second, Appreciation is also a so-called factor of concentrative absorption, a jhanic factor. And again, I'll say more about this one when I'll talk about concentration in a couple of days. The third quality that is instrumental in making us into intelligent human beings is mindfulness, awareness or recollection. This awareness enables us to keep in mind our purpose or our goal. This sati or mindfulness is a specifying factor because it ascertains or determines that specific aspect of an object which needs to be remembered. 
trust as the first one determines what is desirable in an object and the second one that which should be appreciated or can be appreciated the third one goes for remembering what is what needs to be remembered so mindfulness enables us more or less depending on our practice to stay with the object or to remember the object which we chose be it the breath or body sensation or whatever mindfulness enables us for example to stay with the experience of the present moment if that is what we want what we set out to do now in this system mindfulness or sati or recollection also has a, a wider sense and in that is the ability to remember and in this sense it includes actually the faculty of memory and that's why again in this system that's not the same in all Buddhist system in this system in this wider sense it can not only be wholesome or positive but also unwholesome negative like an example would be we sometimes often remember quite steadily to blame or to put down somebody we dislike some opponent or some rival at every occasion something in that respect comes up so there's a kind of a recollection or mindfulness with the unwholesome mind state or a hunter or a thief might be incredibly attentive and mindful while they're on their job of hunting or stealing or we remember we come in touch with something that made us angry in the past and even being very mindful in that very moment of remembering again anger might arise so mindfulness can arise with unwholesome mind states for the specialists it's something that has been debated a lot in a different traditions of you know awareness and mindfulness practice anyway now here we want to look at mindfulness or awareness with wholesome intention or purpose here then mindfulness enables us to remember the values we find important it helps us to be present and sensitive in our actions also in our reactions in what will say how we'll react what we'll do it's mindfulness that enables us to remember our guidelines of behavior we talked about yesterday to be honest to live in a non-violent non-harming way to remember here on retreat to keep the silence and so forth mindfulness is awakening to is being aware of what's going on in every moment right now it remembers that specific aspect of the object which we find specially important usually in our life it's the pleasantness or the unpleasantness of the object or the thing the experience that happens 
usually we're quite concerned and busy trying to keep and to increase the one, obviously, the pleasant one, and trying to get rid of the other one, the unpleasant one. That's Out of that comes our usual way of reactivity. And it's that which leads to conflict, to imbalance and suffering. In terms of our practice, in retreat, in meditation, the specific aspect of the objects that is important for us is not so much whether they're fun or not so much fun, whether we like them or not, but it's really their true nature, their general characteristics. That's what we really want to remember, want to look into, be with, retain. The aspect of change and impermanence, the aspect of the insubstantiality of all things, of every experience that comes and goes. It's the ungraspability of things. And this is really where we're heading towards. This is really what we're interested in. And this is what mindfulness really is looking at. Now when mindfulness and awareness of breath body sensation, feeling, thoughts, forms, sounds, and so forth, become steady and continuous, then the fourth of these five factors arises, which is concentration or steadiness of mind or samadhi. A steady, concentrated awareness of the true nature of things creates ideal conditions not the cause, but it creates ideal conditions for the dawning, the arising of intelligence or insight or wisdom, the fifth of these five factors. It is insight into the nature of existence which liberates us, which enlightens us, and which transforms us for our own benefit and for the benefit of all beings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.